edition of the Dogger Pass podcast. This for UFC Vegas 36. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined on the line by Cody Safdick, coming off of the heels of UFC Vegas 35, the worst card that I have had in quite some time. And I don't want to like put you on the spot, Cody, but I saw your picks. I feel like we were kind of in the same boat. Yeah, well, that is why I'm calling in this week, Paul, because I've lost everything. Uh, I'm actually calling for a payphone. Uh, that's that's a joke. That's a joke because there's actually no such thing as payphones anymore. But uh, yeah, no, Jesus, man, terrible event. Actually, really, if Mahmoud Muradov just wins, then we can at least break even and uh, skimp on by. But nope, the minus 650 on the card finds a way to shit in the proverbial apple pie. And then everything else, <clears throat> I actually put out some props, didn't even like props on the last week's card. But from the five that I did put out, one hit, you know, J.J. Aldrich by decision, and then everything else just got put. Mind you, there was a couple close ones, like if a Brady Heinstein ends up getting that split decision of 225 caches, Barboza Giga Chikotsi over three and a half misses by like a minute and a half. Like, you know, there's a lot of coulda, shoulda, wouldas. But unfortunately in gambling, you just got to uh, roll on by. You lick your wounds and keep going. So this is only a 10-fight offering. But again, I do think there's a couple decent spots to attack. And hopefully my internet is restored and we can go back to recapping events and doing some proper previews uh, on a live feed yeah that's just the name of the game it's just like the heist in bed it's like i had him at plus 140 that fight played out as a straight up pick him so i didn't beat myself up overtaking a plus money underdog in a in a in a fight that was a complete like 50 50 type of situation alvi inside the distance there were probably too many people on that one. That one was, uh, there was a lot of people who were scorned by that one. And I mean, Sam hadn't, hasn't looked good in years. So I don't know why I thought he was going to do it. But we're not here to talk about what happened in the past. Let's move to the future. UFC Vegas 36. This card was supposed to have, it was supposed to be in the UK. So there's like 15 like canceled slash fizzled bouts new replacements, a lot of craziness going on, and it's only a 10-fight offering, as you said. But main event, we've got Darren Till taking on Derek Brunson. Till can be had for minus 180. Brunson, plus 155. Take it away, Cody. You know what? If you're going with Darren Till, I think you wait on it. I think that's the move. You're going to get a much better price betting him live than you will try to bet it early on at minus 180. I mean, he's nearly a 2-1 to favorite. And the problem with Darren Till is the same problem with Sam Al and the same problem with Tyron Woodley. They can knock you out if they were to let their hands go and throw some volume, throw some strikes. They have the power. The problem is they're also hesitant. None of these guys throw volume. And as a result, they allow the fight to fade away from them. If you look at Till's run right from the beginning of his UFC career, right? Uh, the Nicholas Dalby fight, you know, whatever. He breaks his collarbone in the third round. But 49 strikes landed through 15 minutes right yes and Ayari. it goes 15 full minutes right three rounds 31 strikes landed boyon 15 minute fight 49 stephen thompson 25 minute long fight paul he lands 38 he would he lands a big fat zero almost made through two full rounds did not land a single strike at least nothing significant um 
uh, you go look at the Kelvin Gastelum fight. It's a full 15-minute long fight. He lands 36. Actually gets that struck by Kelvin Gastelum in that spot. And then finally, Robert Whitaker's last time out. It's another 25-minute long fight, and yet he lands 41 significant strikes. So I'm not picking on him for one fight. I'm saying is in his entire career, he does not throw a ton of strikes. He sits on his bin, waits and waits and waits. And if he lands that money shot, you're knocked out. But similar to T-Wood, if you just do a little bit more, this is your fight, baby. you got a good chin. You're a big body, solid takedown defense. Uh, Till's got a, a solid, like, southpaw stance, straight left down the middle. He's got good striking. He's got good kicks. He's a big guy. Not having to cut down to 170, you would think he'd have some gas in the tank. And yet he just fights so unbelievably reserved. So Brunson probably goes out there and pushes the tempo throughout the first round, maybe round and a half, two rounds, is able, I would think, to get some takedowns. Why do you say? Because Derek Brunson takes down everybody he tries to take down. Quite literally, I mean, he's one of the more prolific guys in terms of he only has, what, 33% takedown accuracy by the numbers, but it's the chain wrestling, the ability to just keep shooting multiple takedowns and eventually one of them takes you down. And again, you look at his last little win streak right now. I mean, it's, it's all wrestling. Kevin Holland, six takedowns. Edmund Shabazian, four takedowns. Ian Hine is two takedowns. Elias Theodoro, four takedowns. But I mean, literally, this is a guy at his best is going out there and taking down Yoel Romero uh, multiple times. Like, he is a solid wrestler, even though he's a little bit older now. He's not fighting those wild game plans he used to where his chin's way up in the air. He just bomb rushes you in a straight line and just tries to throw caution to the wind and hope you topple over. Now he's just kind of relying on getting to his wrestling, grinding guys, taking them down, controlling the tempo. So he had never been to a fourth or fifth round. And then his last fighting with Kevin Holland, he pushed through those fourths and fifths, where he was completely exhausted. The live money line was actually still floating um, not too bad towards Holland, like even though he had lost the first three rounds because there's a sense that you're going to catch Derek Brunson if you just let your hands go. But again, Till's not really that guy. So I, I, I'd like to think that Till is going to knock him out at some point. And it could happen in the first round. Sure, it's MMA. But more than likely, I think that he's going to have to get this to like the third or fourth, later into the third, into the fourth round, where Brunson's tired. He starts shooting sloppy takedowns, and then he times out one big left hand. But if he allows himself to lose those early rounds, then we're going to get a much better price on him live than trying to bet a minus 180 right now. So I actually disagree with the price tag, but don't necessarily disagree with the outcome. Till should be able to win. But my God, if you bet on San Alvi last week, which, by the way, both of us did, it was very frustrating to watch because it's like, what are you doing? And if you were somebody that bet on Tyron Woodley, even though I would never recommend that, if you someone who bet on Tyron Woodley, God damn, was that frustrating. Just let your hands go, man. But Alvi's got an entire career of that. That's what he does every time. So when you bet him, you feel like an idiot because you're like, shit, I knew he was going to do that. At least I knew he could do that. Woodley's the same thing. You see him do it, and you're, you know, people uh, on Twitter and people on Instagram and everything, they're like, well, why did he fight like that? It was rigged. It was rigged. It's like, you ever seen a Tyron Woodley fight? He does this every time. Tilt to me is the same thing, man. He's super talented, ultra talented, doesn't let his hands go, puts himself into these spots. Because this is a five-round fight, my gut tells me he'll be able to get it done in the later round. If this was a three-round fight, I would take the dog upset on Brunson. And let's not forget, Paul, you and I have been cashing nice dog tickets on Derek Brunson, also known as Black Khabib, because the way he's been fighting recently is just tailor-made. He's at Stanford MMA now, he's training hard, and he goes out there and he's, he's risk-adverse. He's just taking guys down and grinding them. He was a plus 300 underdog against Edmund Shabazian and a plus 170 underdog against Kevin Holland. 
So the guy's most definitely plus 135, sorry, against uh, Ian Heinish as well. And an even money pick against Elias Theodore. Never gets his, his due. Always comes in as like a nice price tag. And a guy that's capable of upsetting. But I think more often than not, a five-rounder, he'll figure that out in the end. I can't get on board with any sort of till action at minus 180. Um, yeah, yeah. I, as you kind of said, the volume just isn't there. He gives away rounds, particularly early, trying to line up the perfect shot. He knocked out Cowboy, a former 155-pounder, and then his other only knockout in his UFC tenure is against Wendell Oliveira back in 2015. Fair be fair, he has been fighting some upper echelon people at 170 and 185 pounds, but I don't think the, the power is really all that impressive. He's a very, very good technical striker, and let's call a spade a spade. The last time Tyron Woodley looked like a world beater was UFC 228 against Darren Till. Was able to take him down, control him, and absolutely smash him. Zero strikes thrown by Darren Till. Spent a lot of time off of his back. I'm sure he's made those improvements in his game. Derek Brunson, we know the issues with him. The chin has definitely always been questionable. Even in a lot of these wins, it's like... He gets cracked. He starts getting a little bit stanky-legged. You get a little bit nervous, but his in, his uh, fight intelligence, fight IQ in there has definitely improved. It's like when he does get cracked, then he's forcing you up against the cage. He's using that. He's got some of the better MMA wrestling at, at 185 pounds, if not the best now that, like, I mean, he took down Yoel Romero multiple times. He was out wrestling Yoel Romero when they fought way back when. I'm going to take a shot on Derek Brunson. I mean, even even you said it's like early on, Brunson's probably got, you're going to get a better price in live markets. I'm not willing to wait. I'll just take the guy who could be, you know, even money after round one at a plus one fifty underdog spot. So, dogger pass for me. I'm going to take a, a small shot on Derek Brunson in this spot. Perennial, perennially uh, underrated, uh, literally in every single fight. I, I don't really get the till hype, and it seems like a lot of people are all over Darren Till coming into this spot. I just can't understand how you would want to bet him when his kryptonite is what Derek Brunson does, is what it is. Uh, Moving on down, we've got Tom Aspinall taking on Sergey Spivak. Aspinall minus 265. Spivak can be had for plus 215. Spivak coming in on short notice. I'm sure he's, you know, staying ready in these uh, modern COVID times as it is. Aspinall was supposed to take on Sergey Pavlovich. Uh, obviously, uh, there's visa issues of some sort. As I said earlier at the beginning of the show, this card was supposed to take place in the UK, so that's probably where the the issues came into play here. Uh, it's a real tall price to pay for the pro- one of the better you know heavyweight prospects that we've got in the UFC. Spivak is also a pretty decent looking heavyweight prospect, but he's fighting some guys a little bit long in the tooth. Didn't look particularly great. Last time out against my boy, the Boa Constrictor. Um, I mean, he made Alexi Olenek look, you know, not completely out of sorts. It was, he he won clearly the entire fight or, or most of the fight, but it wasn't a dominant performance against a completely washed up old veteran. I still like Aspinall. Minus 265 heavyweights be heavyweights. It's It's pretty terrifying though. What's your take here? Okay, so I am going to go with Tom Aspinall. I see there's a ton of love for Sergey Spivak this week because, yeah, the, the price definitely does seem off. Spivak is a 
a talented enough heavyweight. He's got skills. He's got ground skills. And beyond that, he's got an ability to fight 15 minutes where Tom Aspinall, we don't know that he can fight three full rounds. His entire career has been going out there and smashing fools in less than a minute. I mean, look at his pro debut, 20 seconds, next fight, 49 seconds, next fight, nine seconds. Again, he's never been out of the second round. Now, what happened is last time out against Andre Orlovsky, the company's looking to give this guy a push. He looks good. He's talented. He's a training partner of Darren Till, who's popular in the UFC. They're looking to push that narrative. Tom Aspinall's a former pro boxer. He's got clean hands. He's also got super underrated jiu-jitsu. I mean, solid grappling overall. Looks like he could be the total package. Moves well on his feet. Is a mobile heavyweight. He's this next generation. I mean, he looks like kind of like Doukas at heavyweight. Kyle Doukas, right? Or... uh, is it Chris Doukas? Chris Doukas. Uh, Chris Doukas. But yeah, Aspinall's, Aspinall's a bigger frame than Doukas, though. Yeah, and what I like is that they're they're mobile guys that have good footwork, good hands, good power. The problem is that Doukas actually has legitimate experience. He's fought in some good guys. And even though he's scoring his first-round finishes and his second-round finishes, I think he's got an ability to fight deeper in. Tom Aspinall, meanwhile, hasn't proven that. So he gets a soft-ass debut against Jake Collier. I mean soft because look at Jake Collier out the way in. He wins in 45 seconds. He gets Alan Bodo, and it's like, my God, Alan Bodo. I know you don't like saying worst fighter in that's, MMA. That's the like, layup. That's, thing, that's the layup in the heavyweight division. Yeah, surely Alan Bodo cracks that rank as far as the heavyweights, right? And then he gets Andre Orlovsky, and he looks awesome in the first round. Well, he looks awesome for the first three and a half, four minutes of the first round. And he actually does outstrike Orlovsky 33 to 16 in the first frame. But he noticeably does get tired at the end of the first. Now into the second round, Arlovsky starts to pick up the tempo, and all of a sudden Tom Aspinall's fading, and it's like, uh-oh, this is another classic, classic Arlovsky fight where uh, Andre, you know, outwills these young guys, you know, outlasts these young guys, and and Tom's gas tank is what we theorized it might be, not that good, and then what do you know? He gets on like the craziest rear naked joke, just happens in a flash. Arlovsky's so disappointed, and he gets this thing done in the second round, but it wasn't a great performance by no stretch of the imagination. So that's that's the worry here is that you're betting a big price tag on Tom Aspinall and you don't know for sure if he can get into those later rounds. Sergey Spivak has been knocked out early, but that's you know not in a long time. Mm-hmm. Since then, he's done a really good way of just building himself back up. I mean, the last time he's been knocked out was his UFC debut against Walt Harris, and, and since then, man, he's fought some heavy hitters. Ty Tuivasa, packed power. Carlos Felipe, not a big power guy actually, but a lot of volume. You know, he's not getting knocked out. He's able to grind those guys in the later rounds. But my God, he's not, if we're saying that Aspinall is coming off a bad performance, Spivak is coming off an awful performance, even worse. Mm-hmm. You know, he fought a 44-year-old Alexei Olenek and absolutely looked bad, man. Got outstruck in the first round, was getting outstruck in the second round before a boshed Olenek takedown attempt allowed him to get top control. That top control went, won him the, the second. And then, of course, Olenek's 44 years old. Like, the third round is completely exhausted. And Sergey Spivak's able to win that fight. But, my, man, he didn't look very good. He's coming into this fight on short notice, which would lead me to believe that even though he's got a cardio advantage, he's not going to be in particularly great shape. His takedown accuracy, again, if you just want to look by the numbers of uh, – how he's done traditionally in his career. He shows up 63% takedown accuracy, but against some lower level guys, some guys that couldn't wrestle. Aspinall, I'm not saying he's a great wrestler, but he's going to be shorter, stockier, heavier set. Spivak never even took down Alexei Olenek. Like that was the path of victory. He relied on a botched Olenek takedown attempt to finally utilize his superior ground game. Before that, he was just comfortable with standing there and jabbing. It wasn't particularly, you know, good game plan. 
The fight before that is Jared Vandero. Jeez, well, that's a really favorable matchup for Spivak. The fight before that is Carlos Felipe in his debut. And by the way, Felipe had some moments, Paul. Had some moments for sure. So I get the narrative. All, all I would suggest, I am, I am going to take the coward's way out here. I'm going to side with Aspinall. But what I would suggest, though, if you are a Spivak better, is this is another excellent opportunity to bet Spivak after the first round. Because Aspinall is going to beat him in the first. I can almost assure you of that. He's going to be fresh in the first five minutes. He's going to be moving well. He's going to be boxing well. He's going to have the, the power advantage. He's going to have the speed advantage. Even though he's giving up reach to Spivak, Spivak's just going to stick out that tall man jab. And I think that he's going to be countered. I think Aspinall will move him back. I think Tom looks good. I think that the line swells up from minus 250 to minus 450 Aspinall after the first round. And then that's when, as a Sergey Spivak better, you would know we made it out of the first round. We took his best shots, and now Sergey's cardio adventure should take over. You hope that he wins the second. You think he seals the deal in the third. So even though I am going to hang off Tom Aspinall, I think you could wait and get a much better price on Sergey's feedback um, than the 215, which is already a very nice price tag. Don't get me wrong. But if he does this win this fight, he wins it in the later rounds. He doesn't win it right off the mm-hmm. hop. He doesn't get killed. He doesn't get murdered early on. And, uh, and yeah, wears down Tom Aspinall, who showed that he may have cardio issues outside of one. Last time out, that makes sense. Um, I mean, even even with like the props, like Aspinall by knockout is minus one twenty. We're, we're starting, yeah, we're starting to get into a little bit juiced, even on some of these props. That it's just a fight. I think I'm going to stay away from. I don't like betting uh, big time juice on uh, on heavyweights, especially these guys are both young heavyweights, twenty eight and twenty six. It's just like major improvements you don't really hit your prime when you're a heavyweight until you're like early 30s like 31 32 so lots of improvements to be made we'll see what how these two guys show up all right moving on down we've got alex morono taking on david zawada morono minus 140 zawada plus 120 there's been a lot of action coming in on zawada who's like plus 170 or so uh, a little bit earlier in the week, and people like themselves a little underdog play. Do you like Zawada or Morono here, Cody? I don't love David Zawada because if he gets his fight to the ground, then that's where he'll be able to play off to his best attribute, which is his BJJ block belt in his submission game. But again, with Morono, he's got a super underrated grappling game of his own. Like He's also a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, where he opts not to use it for the most part. It's going to be able to keep him safe, I think, in a lot of the spots versus Zawada. So I think those things going to come down to is a striker versus like two. Yeah, I guess Morono is more of a striker than he's a grappler. I'm just saying he has the grappling. Zawada, he's got to rely on his striking. Morono should be able to edge him out. Like the one thing with Alex Morono is that he's got a capability of fighting. I know they're ex-champions, they're former guys, they're former world-class talents like Donald Cerrone and Anthony Pettis, but he's fought at a much higher level. He also shows wins over Max Griffin. You know, his only knockout losses but a Chaos Williams, who packs a tremendous amount of heat, and Nico Price, who packs a tremendous amount of heat. In the Price fight, he's actually winning the first round. Looks pretty good in it. He's a hustler, you know? Like, he's got skills everywhere, but what he's able to do is go out there and hustle you up, and he shows up in good shape and has the cardio to do so. He is a problem. The Anthony Pettis fight, he won the first round. The second round, he got tired, took split off the gas. He dropped the second round, the third round. He, uh, he got ended up getting taken down, spent most of the round on his back. Not a great look for him. And when he does show up in shape, he's a volume puncher. Look at that Rizma Key fight, 176 strikes landed, plus three takedowns. Those three takedowns are interesting because that was the first fight in his UFC career he'd even attempted takedowns. So, again, he's a guy with the skills. He just doesn't always fight the best game plan. He's got limited ring IQ. 
But again, watching him fight Pettis, he saw, okay, he can compete with former world-class guys. The first round, he looked good. Then he falls apart. The Donald Cerrone fight, Cerrone's absolutely shot to bits. Everything Morono was throwing was hurting him. He's going to face a stronger, more resilient guy in David Zawada that'll take those shots, come forward, and continuously try to take him down. But if he doesn't take him down, that's when I think that this is going to be a lot stickier uh, of a situation. Like, he hasn't shown a propensity to land volume like Morono or actually have the striking. His so fight so far in the UFC, the Danny Roberts fight, he gets outstruck 45 to 33. He's low volume. He gets two takedowns on Roberts, but, you know, with an inability to do anything with those takedowns, he loses the fight. And it's low volume. The Jing Liang Lee fight, he actually dropped Lee. But when Lee got back up, David Zawada started to get tired. Lee just, they call him the leech for a reason. He zapped all of his energy out of him, finishes him late. The Bubakar Nurmagomedov fight only went in the UFC. He just snags up that triangle choke before the fight really got going. But they're all low volume. And again, his last fight against Ramazan Amin, like you can't fault him there. Amin does it to everybody. So mm-hmm. like a low volume fight against Amin is pretty to be expected. To be expected. But uh, again, he's getting outstruck by him. He's getting taken down by him. It appears that Amin is the bigger guy, even though they'll tell you it's a split decision. It's a bullshit split decision. It's just nothing really happened. It wasn't a pretty fight. I think Morono's going to be able to land the more eye-catching shots. He's going to be coming forward. He's going to be more aggressive. He'll land the higher volume of num- like the number of overall uh, totals. If he does get taken down, I think it's just as good enough to save him. Uh, I would like to see him not fish for submissions off the ground, just like scramble, get back up to his feet. And if he's got at least two rounds worth of cardio, I think that he should be able to pull it off. So I think people that got Davis Zawada at a plus 170 price tag, it's like, yeah, yeah solid. Because this is going to play out probably a fight that's going the distance, probably a fight that's going to be close and competitive. Why wouldn't you want to be holding that plus 170 price tag? Uh, I got this fight going the distance in the over two and a half. But again, as you can see, the over two and a half on draft sports book minus 175. Bookmakers are figuring this thing's going the distance as well. So my official pick is going to be Alex Morono, Alex Morono by decision. But uh, yeah, if you got a bad, way better price on David Zawada, good on you, good eye. And uh, I wouldn't, I would get, I would not fault you there. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a little bit off when I said uh, minus, or sorry, plus 170. It was like plus 155 that it opened pretty much market-wide. But now it's starting to go to straight up pick them. And I think that's probably how it should be lined. Uh, the low volume from Zawada worries me. Morono probably has decent enough BJJ chops that if it goes down there to stay out of trouble. Morono has had... Uh, the durability issues, his chin isn't exactly great, and he gets into brawls a little bit more often than not. But I think, yeah, he's going to be throwing a little bit more volume as long as that chin holds together. I think it's a pretty close to a pick em fight. So if you want to take a shot and you can get a good dog number on it, you you can, but or take it on Zawada, but not as it closes closer to a pick em, which is what I think it should be. Uh, it's, a, it's a stay away from me, but props to the people who got like plus 155. Modestus Bukakis takes on Khalil Roundtree. Modestus Bukakis, a minus 150 favorite. Roundtree can be had for plus 130. I don't know how any of us can. I mean, Khalil, Khalil Roundtree retired, and then all of a sudden he just kind of came back. I, it's really tough to get on board with this guy, but I, I've been looking for opportunities to fade Bukakis. He's. He's lost his last two. The Mikolitis fight was pretty freaking competitive until right at the final second of round one. Um, yeah, it's, it's, Bukakis is not 
a uh, a top level talent by any stretch of the imagination. His uh, his defense, his striking defense, looks very suspect. But Roundtree hasn't really given us much of a reason to root for him recently. Do you have a hard lean on this one? This is a big time like landmine of a fight because again, I think this thing could go either way and it could blow up in your face big time. What the comparison on last year's card to this would be would be Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, where you're not really expecting him to do anything because he generally doesn't do anything. He hasn't looked good in a while. But then right before he comes out, uh, they do this story where they're like, he calls his son after every one of his fights, and his son told him on the phone, Papa, no more losses. And it totally changed his life. He moved out to Colorado and is training hard. It was like, oh, shit. And he comes out. And he had to kick Alicia Kichirito in 20 seconds. He looked like the scariest dude you've seen. What the hell, Paul? I wasn't expecting that. But on one hand, we all knew he was capable of that because that's him at his best. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to gauge if these guys are at their best. And in this case, whatever his son said really rattled him up, dude, and motivated him. And, and, and he showed up at his best. And he pulled off the goods. Khalil Roundtree is the exact same way, man. At his best, he's a scary enough guy. I mean, he always shows up not in shape, because he doesn't have cardio, but he's a big, strong, muscular guy. And again, at his best, he knocks out Paul Craig in the first round. Well, if you want to make the argument that Paul Craig's chinny, he knocks out Gokhan Sasuke, the legendary kickboxer, the absolute menace. He's going to terrorize the UFC's light heavyweight division, and he knocks him out as a massive underdog. You know, Actually, he's only plus 125. That's actually interesting enough. All the same, big knockout win. And that effectively is the last time he's knocked out a man in MMA. You go for knocking out Gokhan Sasuke, to struggling mightily to knock out pretty much anybody. Now he does kill Eric Anders and drops him multiple times. That one could have been stopped. But then the other fights, Johnny Wonker, he got caught before he got going. The young Kudalaba fight, he looked out of it of sorts and got caught before he's going. He flirted with, remember he was briefly linked to a fight with Greg Hardy up at heavyweight. And then he came in and was like, oh, the UFC's using bullying tactics to get me into a fight. And Last fight of my contract and blah, blah, blah. I'm not fighting at heavyweight. Comes down against Marcin Prakniow. Shit the bet against Prakniow. And then announces his retirement. And now he's back again. So all of that leads you to be like, yeah, the guy's no good. He's not taking it seriously. He's not going to come in shape. If he does, he still has the skills. Now, I want to point out the Kudalaba fight and the Marcin Prakniow fight in particular. So obviously we know that he's got some frustration going on with the company and he's not on his best career run and he actually moves out to thailand you know it's cheaper for fighters to live out there we out to thailand starts training at tiger muay thai pandemic happened he's kind of stuck over there for the early part of the pandemic training at tiger still and has virtually no training partners so he shows up and fights prakyan he would have been in terrible shape and he does look it in the fight he does look in terrible shape so now he's stuck stateside says you know what can't go back to thailand so he links back up with Syndicate MMA, his old gym. He's in Las Vegas. He's based out of there. And if you check out anything on social media, he does look to be in very solid shape. I'm looking at so his Instagram right Is it going to be an Abdul Razak Al-Hassan case? Whereas if that guy shows up and he throws that head kick, he shows up and he lets those hands go. You are absolutely right against Modesto Spokelkin. He is extremely defensively irresponsible. And his head does not move off the center line. And his hands are very low. So if he gets lined up by a big old Khalil Roundtree right hand, he's dead man walking. If for whatever reason he's able to sustain that damage, what we've seen traditionally and historically out of uh, Khalil Roundtree is that, yeah, he's totally going to fade off after the first round. If he doesn't knock you out in the first round, 
all that muscle takes a whole lot of oxygen. He does tend to fatigue. He d- does tend to get tired. In the Pracnial fight, even though his body was shutting down, on there were spots that he could have pulled it off and could have won. It just nothing was responding for him. And with Bukalkis, he, he actually went to war against uh, Prince Michael uh, Alexichuk his last time out. He loses a split decision, but was a good fight, man. In fact, if you check out on MMA decisions, a lot of people score the fight for Modestus Bukalkis. Uh, he wins the first round, he loses the third round, the second round's you know, up for debate, but a solid second round. And again, that's one fight removed from the Jimmy Crew fight where he gets completely knocked out. So is he chinny? I don't know. So I know I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but my official play is I am going to take Modestus Bukalkis. However, you're going to probably be able to get a way better price tag if he's able to survive the first round. If he gets knocked out in the first round, ooh, glad I didn't you know, go big on that. But if he's able to survive the first round, and now all of a sudden he's the plus money underdog against Khalil Roundtree, but he's taken his best shots and made it out of that first, he'll fight on. You know, Former Cage Warriors champion, he has fought later into some later rounds prior. Uh, I do expect him to be in a little bit better shape overall. And keep in mind, he's like six foot three with a big old reach on him. Like he's a decent guy for the weight class. Whereas Khalil Roundtree is very muscular, but he's got a much shorter frame. So whereas a guy like Jerry Canyonier can get away with it because I don't know, Jerry Canyonier's got high ring IQ. Like he's not a big volume guy himself. He just he's got excellent punch selection and he's able to withstand you know that same pace over the course of three to five rounds. Khalil Roundtree is more just like a first-round banger bus type guy. So I wouldn't rule him out of the ability to finish this thing, but I think more often than not, I'm not going to bet him just on the way in the air if he's back at Syndicate. And so if he shows up the way he's been showing up, he's going to lose this fight. If he pulls a Abdul Razak off his hand, it's going to be another bad week because that's the kind of stuff you it's hard to read in advance, right? You don't know what kind of shape or what kind of mentality these guys got coming in, right? We're just going based on prior performances. Yeah, if you're going to bet Roundtree, I think uh, DraftKings Sportsbook, uh, Roundtree by KO plus 250 would be the play oh, there. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's very, uh, it's pretty unlikely he wins a decision in this, in, in most spots, frankly. Um, you know, he's, he's going to dominate round ones, and if the guy's still around to tell the tale, he trails off uh, pretty consistently in most of his fights. Football is right around the corner. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1 or more on any football game. Listen up, because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 or more on any week one game and receive $200 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. And for week one, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at $1 million top prize. Nothing adds to the excitement of watching the game quite like having a free shot at a million dollar top prize. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DOP. To receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game and get a free shot at a million top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code DOP for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. 
One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Moving on down, we've got Patty the Batty Pimblet taking on Luigi Vendramini. Pimblet minus one forty-five. Vendramini plus one twenty-five. Are you are you buying the hype, Cody? No, this is gonna be my first underdog shot nice. on the card so far. I you know reluctantly enough gone with all the favorites. I got to go with uh, Luigi Vendramini. <laughs> Patty Pimblet is like a Conor McGregor in that there's some skill there for sure, but his ability to talk shit talk a great game and hype up the crowd that is what sells that is what puts him over and again similar to a sean o'malley there's some skills there but he's not a top 15 bantamweight and uh it's the sean o'malley effect right patty pimblet is basically the same thing he was supposed to be in the ufc back in 2017 right guys on a roll eight or nine fight winning streak he's a cage warriors 145 pound champion big for the weight class and they give him Julian Arosa, right? You beat Julian Arosa, a UFC veteran, and uh, you're getting the, the show, the call. The fight with Arosa is a five-rounder, and it is close. It is competitive the whole way through. He doesn't look particularly good. So they say, you know what? Fight one more time in Cage Wars, and then we'll bring you over to UFC. And that's when he fights Nad Naramani. Now, what you see in the Nad Naramani fight is that Nad's just too physically strong for him. So Paddy's not able to get this fight to the ground, and that's where he plays his best work, is not only on the ground, but preferably on top. He's fought a lot of these gangly guys on the British regional scene or the European regional scene. They're not all that physically strong. He's able to work those guys. But Nad's in excellent shape. He spent a little bit of the camp at Team Alpha Male. And so he stuffs all of Patty's attempts. He ends up taking him down, grinding him, and shows to have the superior striking acumen. Nad Naramani beats him. So Patty says, you know what? I'm moving up to 55. I was too big for 45. Now I'm going to fill up and move up to lightweight. Wins is the national fight. He's a 5-1 to one favorite against this Elixir Savitas. Beats him by triangle armbar. And then that next fight against Soren Bax. So now this is for the lightweight championship of Cage Warriors. Soren Bax is way too physically strong for him. Patty has a good start, but eventually he's getting to, getting controlled. His cardio is okay, but it's not great. His striking is not great. His uh, power is not great. I think he only shows four knockout wins on his career, but they're all like ground and pound stoppages at Voice meter crashed. Your opponent's respect. Oh. They're going to start bombing on you and backing you up. You don't have the wrestling to take them down, and they're controlling where they want this fight to take place. You're going to lose decisions. Sornbeck basically executes the exact same game plan as their money. Takes them down, neutralizes them. Easy money work. That's 2018, okay? He takes all of 2019 off. He came back for a tune-up in 2020 against Ducky Dog. Foregone conclusion he would win, and he did. And then one year later, comes back for a tune-up against David Martinez, foregone conclusion that he's going to win. And he does, minute 37. And then that's all the ring time he's had since the Soren Beck fight. He's fought twice in the last three years. And both of them were tune-up journeymen. And now he's in the UFC like shit. So because he talks an excellent game, he's going to be the favorite. From what he's shown us, it's still very limited. Like, he's going to have to rely on his grappling. His grappling's not elite. So again, if you want to compare him to Guys like a Chase Hooper, you know, he's got a great grappling game, but it's not an elite grappling game. Mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't just rely on that grappling game. You had some other skills to mix all of it in and make yourself an all-around threat, potentially. Not sure I necessarily see it here. Now, now Vendramini is the underdog for a reason. He hasn't had a ton of success in the UFC, but I want to keep a couple of key points in mind. 
his uh, debut against Olesky, uh, 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 Lizu Zaleski dos Santos. He comes into that fight at 170 pounds, right? That's his welterweight debut. He's up up weight class. And, man, he actually looked good in the first round. Striking's okay, but he's very physically strong in the clinch. Guy looks like he does have a good ground game, but against a big, strong welterweight like Zaleski, he's in on short notice as well, and he eventually gets caught in a flying game once he starts to fatigue. Okay, no problem, right? He comes back against Jessen Ayari. That's his lightweight debut. Back at 155 pounds, back where he should be. Looks in great physical shape and knocks out Ayari early in the first round, minute 12 in the first round. So you don't really get to see much of him, but what's worth noting there is Ayari went the distance with Darren Till. Ayari actually had a pretty solid chip. Went the distance with Till, went the distance with Stevie Ray. Um, you know, a fairly durable guy all around, and, and Luigi Vangermini just goes out there and knocks him out. It's that last fight with Farah Zion. In the first round, he fought super tentative, like... Mm-hmm. Zion had a big old reach on him and a big jab. Benjamini just looked like a deer in the headlights. He just stared at him. And as a result, he gets doubled up on the striking numbers in the first round. The second round, he's getting doubled up on the striking numbers. Nothing really happens. They're close rounds, but in my opinion, it's they're, they're for Zion's round. In the third round, he decides, you know what? Why not take this fight to the ground? And see, where I was killing myself there is, why not take this fight down to the ground right off the hop? Yeah, like, of course. Zion's Everyone was a big, tall, big guy guy. That just easily got grinded up by Jamie Malarkey. Jamie Malarkey's taking him down at will and grinding him. Why are you not going out there and getting the takedowns? But shit, Paul, as soon as he does in the third round, it's all Vendramini. He takes the crap out of Frazayev. Unfortunately, he dropped the first two rounds on inactivity and ends up losing the fight. So the way I see this one against Patty Pimblett is you've got a guy that's a big, strong 55er. He used to fight at 170 versus a not-so-strong 55er that used to fight at 45. So I'm going to give the strength advantage to Vendramini. Vendramini is also a decent enough grappler. You saw him grapple nice against Zayam, and you saw glimpses of it in the Zaleski fight. Overall, I believe he's a brown belt, but he seems to be physically strong and a good grappler. Mm-hmm. I think that that takes off Patty Pimblett's best weapon. So now Patty Pimblett needs to take Luigi Vendramini down. Don't really see it happening because of the, the, the physicality advantage. And so now it probably plays out into a 15-minute striking match standing. I don't love the, the volume out of Vendramini, and I don't love his cardio, but if he's the one that's going to be landing these bigger shots, backing Patty Pimblett out, causing him to shoot these desperation takedowns, he's definitely a live underdog for sure. Patty's probably the slight favorite because he's got the name, he's got the reputation, and there's money from Europe coming in on him. But I think this is going to cl- play out closer to a, a pick-em fight. I got Luigi Vendramini, and so? I also don't mind that over 10.5 at plus 110. You think it's going to play out, or you think the market's going to move back to a pick'em? I again, I think money's coming in on on money's Patty, coming right? in on and Patty. Yeah. Pre-fight interviews, and he'll be doing the pre-fight talk, and he'll be talking his game, and, and and there's a sense that this guy's for real, this guy's for real. But they've waited 19 fights to bring him into the UFC, right? They mm-hmm. rumored to sign him in 2017. And they've furthermore waited, let him wait on the regional scene for three or four more years. And he hasn't been active. He fights once a year. So even though, again, there is skill there, it's a good live underdog spot. I think Luigi Vendramini fights the right game plan, which he did in his last fight. But, but There's a different stylistic matchup yeah, against Ferez Zayam, though, on the feet. Like Patty does not have yeah. the hands that Ferez Zayam does. And yeah, Luigi Vendermini looked very explosive when he was able to get it to the mat, which leads me to believe that he's going to at least be able to like stop takedowns or if he does get taken down, stay out of trouble and I have a bit I think it's a big advantage for him on the feet. Whether it's, you know, the the volume may not exactly be there, but the power, precision, 
everything like that. Like, I think it's dog, clear, clear, clear dogger pass. I've been waiting to vet Vengermini, but I just kind of see the, you know, Pimbuck go from like plus 125 or minus 125 to minus 135 to 145. So I've just been hanging out in the weeds trying to trying to get the best price I can on Luigi Vengermini. So complete agreement with you there. Moving on down, we've got Jeon Young Kim taking on Molly Meatball McCann. Minus 115 Kim, minus 105 McCann. I mean, I hear a lot of people talking about well, you know, all, all Molly has to do in this spot is take the fight to the ground. And I know that she's worked on that grappling game. We've seen it in a couple of spots before. But calling a spade a spade, there's a 10-inch reach advantage here. We've always talked about, like, go-go gadget arms in Jin Yun Kim. 72-inch reach for her frame is just absurd. Absurdly long arms, taking on Molly McCann's 62-inch reach. When this fight's on the feet, Molly McCann's not going to be able to come within range minus 115 talk me off the ledge here cody because i feel like kim may be the best bet on the card and i know how crazy saying a women's flyweight fight may be the best bet on the card but i see massive advantages here and i'm i'm willing to wager that molly mccann just can't sustain wrestling for for three straight rounds and win a decision that way um what, what do you think here well, that's a million-dollar question, yeah. Can Molly McCann sustain any type of chain wrestling over the course of 15 minutes? But here's my worry here is that Molly McCann has shown that she's got a willingness to wrestle in all these fights. It just depends on the level of talent that she's matched up against, right? Against good fighters, they're going to out-wrestle her and out-grapple her easy. Against limited-level opposition, yeah, she actually looks like a good wrestler. So the losses against Jillian Robertson, Taylor Santos, and Laura Procopio, she's taken down collectively 14 times in those fights. Has no success in the grappling. But the three wins, uh, Cachoeira, Ariana Lipsky, and Diana Balbita, collectively she goes out there and scores nine takedowns over them. When she gets takedowns, she's relentless. She's got big ground and pound, not big in terms of heavy, but just like she'll keep chipping away at you. She landed 107 against Cachoeira, 108 against Lipsky, 113 against Balbita. It's all predicated on if she can get this fight to the ground. So, again, at her at her best, you know, she's taking down Belbita, Lipsky, and Cachoeira. The three of them do not have any type of takedown defense. Bad grapplers. She takes them down. Taylor Santos, good grappler. Laura Procopio, good grappler. That's where she struggles. So the question here is that even though uh, Ji Young Kim has a 10-inch reach advantage, you know, is three inches taller, with a 10-inch reach advantage in the arms, that's huge, absolutely. It's whether or not she can keep herself off of her back. And again, she shows career takedown defense of 42%. Not very good. People that have taken her down include Antonina Shevchenko. Yes, not Valentina, the, her older sister. Nadia Kassam. Yes, Ashkan Mokhtarian's brother's girlfriend. And Alexa Grosso, a boxer. So she's getting she only got taken down, down once and by Grasso. And she did, she did pretty well for herself against Grasso, all things considered. Grasso's a... A legit top 15. In fact, she, and she killed Nadia Kassam. I know she's, I'm saying she got taken down, but she absolutely destroyed her. Like, mm-hmm. It was a savage beating. What I am saying, though, is that in the same breath, she shows wins over Melinda Fabian. And if close split decision, dude, it was close. Melinda Fabian no longer with the company. She lost to Lucy Pudilova, who's no longer with the company. She wins over Nadia Kassam, who's no longer with the company. So she's operated almost exclusively at a low level and had mixed results at a fairly low level. So the Grosso fight was her best. Yeah, she looked 
better in that fight, but she still get outstruck pretty handedly and uh, and got taken down. Since then, you've seen Grosso go on to bigger and better things, complete, compete multiple times, and move her way up the ladder. Uh, whereas you just haven't seen that from Ji Yun Kim. Like she does have the reach, absolutely. She needs to keep this fight standing. If she keeps the fight standing, she'll be able to use that reach and then win the fight. So I'm gonna wait until I, I, I see Wayans because I've been hearing that Ji Yun Kim has been in Vegas, like training in Las Vegas, also at Syndicate for the last little bit. And uh, you know, if she's just made enough improvements to keep this fight standing, I agree. Ten and three advantage, how are you gonna lose? But, like, Molly McCann loves fighting this level of opposition and grinding mm-hmm. them and landing ground and pounding out, hustling them. And I can tell you one thing I'll guarantee you, Paul, that the two and a half looks really good, but it's minus 400. Yeah. Everybody knows this thing is going the distance. So what side of, of this do you want to be on? All I'll say, all I'll say, and we can wrap it up, because it's pretty clear how Molly McCann has to win this fight. Even right. in some of these situations where she looked good, uh, you know, taking on my girl, catch a beating. Um, round three there, there was the cut across the eye or the, uh, you know, on the forehead. Like, that fight was dangerously close to getting finished against, against somebody who was very helpless on the ground. She was able to get the fight to the mat there. But when they were on the feet, she got completely exposed. I'm going to... You, I'm pumping the brakes a little bit on like making uh, like my best, my biggest bet of the night. I don't know if I have to even wait for weigh-ins. I'm not sure what I'm gonna learn from weigh-ins between the two of them. the The fact of the matter is, I'm basically betting uh, a 50-50 fight, but I'm getting 10-inch reach advantage, and hopefully, we don't spend all three rounds on our back, which is definitely in play. But uh, I just don't have faith in in Molly to continuously win these low level fights this way. And, and that that is her clear, clear path to victory here. I'm not I'm not gonna be stunned when I lose this bet or if I lose this bet. Don't say when. Don't say when. Positive reinforcement, Paul. But uh but yeah, no, I'm gonna be on Kim. Moving on down, we got Jack Shore taking on Ludwig Shaolinian, minus five ten for the undefeated 14 and 0 Jack Shore. Ludwig Shaolinian plus three seventy five. I mean the price kind of got away from us. Ludwig was on the ultimate fighter, and the guy's grappling doesn't look horrible. Jack Shore, probably a different level. I'm a little nervous about laying the wood at minus 510 on Shore here. I I think Ludwig isn't a complete, complete bum. Uh, he's going to have some problems. He's going to pose some problems for him. He's a big, big body, at 135 pounds. So right now I kind of feel like, you know, this price has kind of got away from me. It's one that I'm happy to just sit back, wait for weigh-ins to come. Maybe something comes to me, but I'm not going to be just hammering minus 500 uh, favorites here uh, in Jack Shore. I think he's good, but I think, the, you know, who knows with a lot of these British fighters, too. It's like these, these fights were supposed to take take place in the U.K., then they've got all these. Like, I know Patty, Patty Pimblett isn't arriving, or he didn't arrive until Tuesday, uh, in Vegas, so uh, there's a it, the price at minus five ten for Jack Shore is just enough for me to 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 just you know let it happen and, and stay away from investing in it myself. What about you? I'm a big Jack Shore guy, man. He's one of these guys that's just going to chain wrestle. He's going to grapple these guys. He's going to cry them to the ground. And when it looks like he's getting tired and he looks like he's in a bad spot, he's just going to bite down on his mouthpiece and go right through it. And, like, those are the kind of guys I'm always looking at the back. 
Uh, undefeated, I don't love that because, you know me, I, I like seeing them lose a time or two so they can go back to the drawing board and make those improvements and see where they got to go wrong. But he's learning in real time. He's undefeated for a reason. It's like no one's been able to step up to him. UFC's done a pretty good job of matching him up fairly low level in the sense that his three fights in the UFC include Nohaline Hernandez, Aaron Phillips, and then Hunter Azer. Now, again, that's a split decision win over Hunter Azer. Azer was able to test him unlike a lot of these guys were, but Azer was like a multiple-time state wrestling champion. Guy's a freak athlete, moves extremely well, and trains out of the lab. It's also fight-ready MMA. So, you know, his wrestling game was going to be pretty on point. Jack Shore does what he's got to do. He's losing the striking exchanges. He's losing on the volume. But he grits through and he pushes through. He had shown a lot of finishes prior to that. So, again, I, I, I appreciate the fact that he was able to go 15 minutes when he was in a bad spot, he was able to come out positive on the other, other side. And they reward him with a fight with Saeed Magomedov. Now, this is going to be an excellent fight. He's got two bona fide prospects. Nurmagomedov is likely going to be able to test him. And again, a lot of these ways, this is a solid fight. Unfortunately, Nurmagomedov pulls off, and now you get uh, this this Zvaid Zvaid Lashvili. Lashvili. Yeah, still going to be in tough enough fights. Completely, you know, it's a different opponent altogether. And then now you get Ludovic Shalidian. So Jack Shore has been in shape. He's had the full camp. And the Saeed Nurmagomedov fight pulled off two weeks ago, mm-hmm. which means this last Shalili guy would have taken the fight within that two weeks. And then when he also pulled out, then Shalinian gets the call. Shalinian would have been a standby opponent probably for the tough card from last week, right? Where. Yeah hey, if any of these guys, there's a guy in your weight class, if for whatever reason someone's to pull out, you're kind of that next guy in line. So stay ready, and we'll see if we can insert you on one of these cards. And then sure enough, he's getting his opportunity, so he's been inserted. But honestly, man, I think he's just outgunned basically everywhere. The grappling aside, if this thing stays standing, he's going to get beat up. Like I think it's a significant boxing advantage for Jack Shore. I think Jack Shore has far better wrestling. He's got better judo. And uh, the grappling, which is Shalinian's best aspect, looks pretty good for Jack Shore as well. He's good at taking you down, staying on top, even if you threaten submissions. He just continuously is able to defend and keep grinding on you. Shalinian, again, and this had happened with the last season of Ultimate Fighter, right? Because Brian Battle looked like crap coming into the show and then turned out, you know, he had some skills that he showed us there. That Brady Heinstein guy, he showed nothing on the regional scene. He was fighting such bad guys. But then he's on the ultimate front, it's like, oh, geez, he showed us that. Shalinian is the exact same thing, man. I mean, his wins are over guys that are non-existent. You know, mm-hmm. O records almost universally. <clears throat> he makes his Bellator debut against Sindamar Honorio, a course journeyman record, and loses. Just two years ago, he drops a, or he wins a split decision over Vince Cachero, who you've seen quickly flame out of the UFC in an 0-2 run. And then Yuma Horiguchi, uh, a split decision win over him as well. That's his only pro fight in the last two years. Of course, he was on the Ultimate Fighter. And his big claim to fame there is that he's like the number six pick and he upsets the number one guy, Mitch Raposo. So that's his little story there, right? I mean, actually, he was the third pick, but he upsets the number one guy. And then he loses to Ricky Tercios the next round. And, hey, Ricky ended up winning the entire season. So, yeah, he actually didn't look too bad on the show. As far as his career prior to that goes, he looks limited. He doesn't have some big submission game he's going to be able to rely on. In fact, the last time he submitted a guy was like three years ago. I would have to say that Jack Shore has got to beat everywhere. And even though, like you're saying, we missed the price tag and you you never want to bet a guy at five to one, uh, Shore is one of these guys I'm going to back for a long, long time. Like Even when he does meet his match and lose, he's going to keep fighting the entire time. He's going to keep coming at you. He's going to keep 
you know, similar to we've seen with, uh, what's his name? Mason Jones, right? Mason Jones, mm-hmm. very similar. These Welsh guys are like, never say die attitude. They could be losing, but they're going to keep coming at you. They're all super durable and they've got vastly improving skill sets. So I, uh, I, I do like Jack Shore and, and obviously at his price tag, he's going to end up being one of our anchors this week. So hopefully he, uh, does the damn thing and proves me right. Yeah. Everyone likes Jack Shore. It's just minus 500. When he some of the whole or some of the spots in his game were a little bit exposed against Hunter Asia. What do you think about the over in that spot? Over two and a half minus one twenty five. Yeah, yeah, I like it because Jack Shore in his last fight showed like he's going to go out there and grind if he needs to. The quick finishes are not always going to materialize, and with Shalini, and he looks pretty durable enough. I mean, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think the over two and a half is probably the way I would approach it as well. And I would think that Jack Shore, Jack Shore by decision, if you're trying to improve that five to one price tag. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of more along the lines. I'm not saying I don't like Jack Shore. Over two and a half is minus 125. Um, Jack Shore by decision is Shore by decision plus 150. I'd probably, yeah, I'd probably just stick to the the over two and a half minus one twenty five, if I'm gonna make a play yeah, well, on that fight particularly. What's up? Yeah, and so and then the last thing is that this is actually really very neat, right? So prior to the Hunter Azure fight, he was on a five fight uh, winning streak with finishes. So he beats this Mike Ekendayo, four oh seven of round three. The over two and a half hits there. Scott Malone, 228 of round three. It missed by two seconds. No Helene Hernandez's debut, 251 of round three. The over would have hit over two and a half. Aaron Phillips, 229 of round two. It missed, it missed by, uh, well, I'm sorry, that was the over one and a half would have just hit, uh, just a hit, I guess. But uh, he's not one of these finish you in the first round. No. He's a grind you later on. And the better you fight guys, Hunter Azer, eventually you can't finish him. So I completely agree. Even if he is a guy that's going to get a finish, it's going to spring late, later into the fight. And against someone who's talented enough and a good enough grappler against Shalinian, who's got a little bit of heart and got a little bit of size, uh, yeah, maybe just doesn't materialize me, hit that over two and a half. And it looks like a good enough price tag. So I, I do agree with you there. All right, moving on down. we got Charles Jordan taking on Julian Juicy J. Rosa. Jordan was supposed to take on Lerone Murphy. Boy, that was a tough matchup for Charles Jordan. Draws an easier matchup in Julian Juicy J. Rosa. I mean, Rosa, we got to love him. He's a, he's a fan favorite type of style. He comes to fight. He comes to finish uh, pretty much every single time. He's a die by the sword, live by the sword, die by the sword type of competitor. He's definitely an entertainer out there. Uh, with Charles Jordan being minus 190, and I see some people moving in on Juicy J already. Uh, he was like minus 225 earlier in the week, and people are taking the dog shot on a roast. And I kind of get it because we've seen Charles Jordan in a lot of these matchups. He's he's taken some shots and he's gotten wobbled. Obviously, you go to the Kulabau fight where he gets wobbled, he's able to fight back, and then there's a draw. Um, Ro, him versus Royo was a freaking banger. He was getting hit. They're both like it was an absolute absolute war. Both guys took a whole shitload of damage. We'll talk about Rojo a little bit further down the card here. I I kind of understand where the the mindset is. I don't really want to get on board with Charles Jordan 
at almost a two to one price tag. I'm I'm eyeing the under here. It's gained a little bit juice at this point, but it's minus one fifty five DraftKings Sportsbook. That's the way I think I would play this. I or maybe parlaying up the fight doesn't go to decision because Arosa's gonna have some unorthodox types of positions that he puts or that he you know that he just throws at you he's he's going for the kill he's going for the finish at all times we've seen that chin be a little bit checked on charles jordan we definitely know that juicy j is is not afraid to get finished himself as well so i would i'm expecting fireworks in this fight and i i typically try to avoid betting minus 200 favorites and i just try to go to like totals when i when i see that type of matchup so i'll lean towards uh, I Julian Arosa broke my heart last time out. I bet on him and uh got absolutely spanked by by Sungwoo Choi. So I I'll lean towards Charles Jordan, but my money will end up being on the under. What about you? Yeah, Julian J, baby. I mean, he he goes for it. You got to give him that 100%. And and you nailed it, right? He's a live by the sword, die by the sword guy. But he's dying by the sword. He gets caught. He gets knocked out. His durability is an absolute problem, right? Charles Jordan is a live by the sword, die by the sword kind of guy. The difference is he's got strong durability. He can take these shots. And my God, he has looked like shit his last two fights. But... Hitting him and hurting him doesn't seem to do anything. Marcel Rojo rocked him twice, dude. He knees him with a knee straight up the middle. I mean, it looks like Jordan is definitely wobbly, and he cooks him to the body. And Jordan looks like he is in a lot of pain. He loses the first round for sure. The second round, he is well on his way to losing before he just floors Rojo with a flying knee at the end of the second round. Maybe steals the round for him. You know, still a close second round. And then in the third, he turns it up. So even though he'd been hurt twice in that that point, I mean, he's still coming on strong. The, Ju- the Joshua Kulabau fight, again, you're 100% right. He gets wobbled bad in the first round. He gets knocked down. And then what happens? It wakes him up. He's a slow starter. But once he gets going, he just keeps coming at you. In all three of his pro losses, he's never been knocked out, right? He's lost a split to Feely, the unanimous decision up a weight class against Des Green, and then a decision back in the day to TJ Laramie. But he seems to have very, very, very solid durability. Oh, I can't make that same claim. Like, yeah, they're both very excited. They both go out there. They both let their hands go. The difference in Charles Jordan is that he's going to keep coming the entire way. Whereas Arosa knocked out in a minute and a half against Sugmo Choi. Okay, well, you give him a pass there. Knocked out by Julio Arche. Well, it's Arche. Devontae Smith, 46 seconds. Bobby McIntyre was a 5-4 and four regional scene guy. 328 of the first round. Uh, Teruto Ishihara, who was what a bust that guy ended up being, right? 34 seconds into the second round. Artem Lobov on the ultimate fighter, one minute into the first round. He's got a suspect chin. He's been knocked out over half a dozen times now, and that's going to be his problem because he's got skills everywhere, but he doesn't fight smart. Imagine knowing you had that chin and still coming out and fighting the way he fought Nate Landwehr. And he beat Nate Landwehr. I'm not discrediting him. I'm saying he doesn't care of this perception he can't take a punch. He still fights the exact same way every time. And if he fights that way against Charles Roday, he's going to have some success. But they're both going to stand in the middle of the ring. They're both going to throw down. And eventually, Charles is going to catch him and knock him out because he's just got the superior durability. The other thing I want to point out is that Julian Arosa's campaign largely throughout his career at 145 pounds. He's jumping up in short notice and replacing Lerone Murphy, as you mentioned. And this fight is at a catch weight of 150. Mm-hmm. Now, that would pl- 
play out to way Charles Jordan simply because he's the former TKO lightweight champion. He made his debut in the UFC against Des Green at 155 pounds. And even though for both of those fights, he weighed in at 153, he's not a big lightweight by any stretch of the imagination. He is the naturally bigger, stronger guy. And I think that's going to be a key difference. And with Arosa, he's kind of always got like a height advantage on opponents. Like he fights that that lanky game. And for 145, he definitely gets away with it. He's six foot one with a 74 inch reach. You know, like that that makes him that makes him different. Five and Those a half inch reach right? advantage here. Yeah, like he always has that. But if he's just going to use it to simply get into a striking battle, he's going to get caught at some point. With with Jordan, Air Jordan, he'll throw flying. He'll throw spinning back fists. He'll throw a bunch of whack-ass techniques. All of it is just dangerous. All of it is just fire. And if any time it lands on you, you've got a serious problem. I, I am going to take Charles Jordan. The one thing that I do want to mention, because I don't think anybody's pointing it out, is if I was Julian Arosa, I would strongly implore his team. Sorry if I wasn't him, but if I was his team, I would strongly implore him to use his wrestling. Charles Jordan's wrestling is trash. It is bad, bad. You want to take Jordan down, you will be able to take him down with ease. It's just something that has never developed with him. He's a, he's a crafty striker, but he puts himself in a lot of bad positions, and he's off balance a lot of the time. Guys that have wanted to take him down have been able to just follow that path of victory. Andre Feely, hell, there was a close fight. Whenever he wanted to grab, he's going to trip him to the ground and have a takedown against him. Marcel Rojo with the takedown as well. Arosa has underrated takedowns. You know, he took Sean Woodson down three times, and that's kind of the only time he's really shown us his wrestling in the UFC, but it is there. Mm-hmm. If I was him, I would just I would lure... Um, Jordan into a false sense of confidence in the striking and then drop down take him down take yeah. him down make him the takedown win, win two of these three rounds and then evade if you need to and if I thought he was going to fight that game plan I would 100% bet him yeah dude Jordan's there for the fade problem is is that UZJ fights the same way every time thrill the crowd that's his MO that's what he does that's, that's why, why we like him. him back three times now and that's, yeah, he's a fan favorite. That's what he does. So if, because he's probably going to do that again here, I think at some point Charles is able to catch him with something and put him out inside the distance. You mentioned, what, the under two and a half was a, a play that you liked as well. I yeah. agree with that. They're, they're going to stand in the field of the rain. They're going to throw down. Chances are someone's getting caught. In Jordan's case, he's never been knocked out. For that reason, I'm going to back him as a guy that doesn't topple over first. That's fair. All right, we got Marc-Andre Barrio taking on Delka Lungiambula. Mark Andre Barrio is a minus one sixty five favorite. Uh, Lungiambula can be had for plus one forty five. Who you got here? Again, this will come down to the wrestling. Is Dalka able to actually get this fight to the ground? Because at one hundred eighty five pounds, it seems like this is the weight class that is going to be a lot better suited for him. I mean, he's obviously a big, strong, muscular guy, but he's not all that tall, right? He's what listed at five nine with a seventy six inch reach, so he has a, a big, long reach on him, but. As far as like his height goes, he's, it's just not cutting it, right? He's actually five foot eight, five foot eight, fighting at 185 pounds. Keep in mind, he used to fight as high as 205. So, for a dude that was fighting Magomed and Kaliyev, being five foot eight was just never going to work for him. Mm-hmm. At 85, this is the weight class for him for sure. My issue is that he's 34 years old. He's already a lot older at this point. He doesn't got this like big booming power punch. You know, it falls off like quick, pretty, pretty quick. I find. Uh, a knock over Daquan Townsend, and it's Daquan, but still knocking him out is no, no easy task. So that's that's solid enough. Then they give you Magomed and Kalev. I won't fault you for that. No. It's that Marcus Perez fight. You know the striking, you know, has no effect. He basically has no volume. The Daquan fight almost went. It was into the third round. He landed 32 strikes. The Magomed and Kalev fight. It went into the third round. He had landed six. 
Mm-hmm. And the Marcus Perez fight, where he had his way for the most part the entire time, he lands 29. It's, it, there's no volume standing. So even if you have this big power, it's Woodley effect. You have power, but you're unwilling to use it, then what good is it for you? And so, yeah, it's the same, it's the same shit here. There's no volume. What he is able to do is mix in takedowns. He's got some judo background, and he's a strong physical guy. And he goes in, and he grabs a hold of him and takes you to the ground. That would work against Marc-Andre Berrio. That is a good passive victory over Marc-Andre Berrio, who had previously taken by Jung Jung Park, taken down by him five times. Like, it's a good pass. Here's the difference is that Berrio eventually left the confines of Quebec and went over to Sanford MMA. And notably, his last two fights, he's been at Sanford, the Oscar Pachota fight, and the Abu Azitar fight. He looks vastly improved. Mm-hmm. He was always a big, strong, herky-jerky guy. We know him from up in TKO in Quebec, where he was the uh, middleweight and light heavyweight champs for the organization. But he was a generalist, right? A big body that can wrestle a little bit, could strike. You know, his cast iron, durability is his number one best thing, but didn't quite have, you know, the guidance or the skills to put it all together. Since he's been out in South Florida, man, I mean, his girlfriend's out there as well. They're training full time. He looks in excellent shape. The Pachota fight, he got tested positive for steroids. So I guess Abu Azrakan, I theorized, yeah, he's not going to come in, in in good shape or he's going to be in worse shape. No, he came in even better shape. And in the Azitar fight, he lands 141 significant strikes. He stuffed all of Abu Azitar's takedown attempts. He drops him, puts a beating on him, and basically finishes him with four seconds left on the clock. Never stopped. Landed 141 significant strikes and just would the entire way kept coming. And that's what you saw in the Pachota fight. He landed 74 significant strikes through two rounds, you know, including a knockdown and a takedown. Why would you even want to take down Pachota, BJJ Black Belt? Because you see he's coming into his own. He's only 31 years old. He, he's actually filled out quite well for the weight class now. And he's one of these guys that he's a bigger guy that has good volume and good cardio. You don't really find that at these weight classes. So that in itself is going to be a problem. Dolce doesn't have the volume to keep up with him. So what he needs to do is take him down. If he does take him down, he would have to be holding him down. He doesn't have any ground and pound. He doesn't have any submission. So even if he does get the takedown, it's going to exhaust him. Barry will eventually work his way back up and then put the volume on him, put the volume on him, put the mm-hmm. volume on him. It could be another late stoppage for Barrio, but more often than not, I think he just, you know, works them to the tune of winning unanimous decision. So I'm going to go with Barrio, Barrio by decision. Yeah, I mean, throwing up 141 significant strikes against Abu was Abu Azatar last time out. It's just like, if you can keep that type of pace against Delka, Del- Delka just <laughs> turns into complete knockout or bust. Like the, I think Delka will probably try to hold him up against the cage a whole bunch, but that's going to make him tired as well. Um I'm with you. I like. I, I think Barrio gets the job done. Uh, it's whether it's round three or decision. Uh, there's certain certain books that you can go out that you can get the round three and decision. I'd be curious to see what that is. Delka has been pretty durable, and let's throw the Ankolaev fight out because Ankolaev is an absolute stud, and we've been talking about that guy for ages. At you know, he's kind of the he's the Grim Reaper at at 205 pounds right now. You know, he's He's kind of lurking in the shadows, but a lot of you know the casual fan base isn't aware about how very good that guy is. I think he could win the belt. I think he could beat Jan today if they if they matched him up. And I I doubt that the lines or the uh, the betting line would reflect that. And finally, we've got uh, Jonathan Martinez taking on Marcelo Royo. Jonathan Martinez, minus 155 favorite. Royo can be had four plus 135. Take it away, Cody. 
Okay, so normally I'd be all over Jonathan Martinez. I like this kid, man. He's got excellent movement. He's got good kicks. He's rangy. I mean, pretty good output. He scores a career-best win um, over, you know, a guy that was really supposed to be a big star, Thomas Almeida. Like, people were high up on Almeida. And he goes out there and he just proves to be the more efficient striker. I like what he does. He's got excellent knees up the middle. And talk to Frankie Sines about that one. I like what he does, right? Even even the loss against Andre Yule, I thought it was a robbery. I thought he, he should have won that fight. So I'm fully behind it. Now he takes on a guy that I also like by the name of Davy Grant. And I say, you know what? It's old guard versus new guard. Davy Grant, more of a grappler. He doesn't quite have the striking. I got to go with Jonathan Martinez. Watching the fight, Martinez starts off excellent. Again, he's very quick for the weight class. He's got good footwork. He's in and out quite well. And uh, he uses the kicks to just dictate that range and he's doing very well against Davy Grant and I'm not sure why it is because he's not a guy with bad cardio by any stretch but by the end of the first round he doesn't look himself his numbers all of a sudden fall off quite heavy he's not landing the kicks anymore he's allowing Davy Grant just to walk in and land shots and once it's all said and done he actually gets outstruck in the first round 20 to 19 against Davy Grant so it starts off very well but they completely fell apart now the second round, Davey's just pressuring him, and it's noticeably upsetting this kid. Mm-hmm. His movement is gone. He's not using his feet anymore. He's not dictating the range, and his kicks are rendered ineffective. And Davey Grant, again, has shown us that he can strike, but him and his best, he's not a striker. He just loads up on that right hand and starts spamming it, and just starts teeing off, and eventually blows Martinez's head off. He actually beat him down bad in that third round. He mm-hmm. totally outstrikes him 28 to 10, but he hurts him at every turning point and you see Martinez is just tired and looks lethargic and then gets knocked out. So to me, that was a career worst performance on a guy that was building up some serious momentum. And now it's easy to just jump back on him and be like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, he's still got all those, those skills. He had never been knocked out. I don't know how he comes back from that. Right. In the sense that not, Oh, he's ruined and he's chinny, but like it's his first time getting knocked out. So is his game plan of bouncing around and striking the guys? Is that still his go-to? Is that still what he's interested in? This Marcel Rolo guy is insane. He comes at you. He, they nickname him the pit bull, which is something you've seen through a lot of people in MMA. I mean, he's got a neck. Rightfully so. He's got a, a massive Dude, neck, neck tap. Anybody who has a neck tap. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta be, you gotta know that that person's probably willing to do things that you aren't. It, exactly, and he very much is a dog on a bone. Like his losses are to legit guys and mostly submission threats. Right, Fernando Fierro was like a dope BJJ world champion. This uh, Mukhmed Kokov in Russia, you know, he's a Russian in Russia. What do you expect, right? He got caught in a third round guillotine choke, but it's a one night tournament that Kombache Copa. Uh, the Copa Cabache tournament. So, you know, it's the second round of a tournament, and he still made it to the third round. Not bad. The John Castaneda fights, and I'm trying to in the third round. He got caught by Charles Jordan in the third round. So, the path to beating him would actually take him down. That's what he's shown in his career. The guys that had the most success of taking him down. Martinez doesn't have that. And we haven't Martinez seen it, at least it. So from him. I'm sure he was working on there. stuff, but we haven't seen it from him. Yeah, I know he's probably working on it exactly. And, and and I think now would be the time. Coming off your first knockout loss, now would be the time. But what happens oftentimes in MMA is you're a badass striker. You just beat Thomas Almeida. Everyone's touting you as a top 15 prospect. And now you get knocked out for the first time. Are you suddenly a grappler? 
you just, you're, you're a grappler all of a sudden. They're, they're not fighting to the best of their skills. They're fighting to the best. Oh, shit, I just got knocked out. I should, I should wrestle a little bit more. I should grapple a little bit more. If he comes out and wrestles and grapples, that, that's the path. Yeah, that's the path for sure against Marcel Rojo. If he doesn't and he stays there and he kicks that distance, it will work for the first three or four minutes, maybe even the first round, even the first round and a half. But Rojo figures to just keep coming at you. I was impressed in the Jordan fight. He hurts him in the first round, he wins the first round. He hurts him in the second round, and if he had gotten knocked by that flying knee, I mean, it is, it is what it is. In the third round, he still comes out and balls to the walls and gets massively hurt. Mm-hmm. How they didn't stop that on the ground, I have no idea. He still gets back up and then gets knocked out standing. It's a tremendous amount of damage to take, no doubt about it. Sure. But keep this in mind. He took that Charles Jordan fight on short notice at 145 pounds. Now he's got a full now camp. Now he's dropping down to buck 35. If you thought he was strong and physical and a shit-eating wild man at buck 45, wait until you see him at 35 where he's mm-hmm. going to be stronger. And it, it'll be Davy Grant effect, right? If you stay in the pocket long enough to land that big counter right, you'll rattle him. Once you rattle him and you cause him to work, he won't be able to keep the same pace that Charles Jordan kept on you, is what I would think. He's going to have a full camp here. He was initially supposed to fight. People are going to tell you he's on short notice, right? He's on short notice, but he's not because he's supposed to fight Kevin Kroom, you know, jeez, uh, what, a week ago, right? He's supposed to fight yep. Kevin Kroom less than a week ago. Oh, it'd be a month, I suppose. No, no, not even. Yeah, a week. And that fight pulls off on Kevin Kroon's side. So the guy's in shape. He's had a full camp. He's ready to make 135 pounds. And if he does his better suited weight class and you don't take him down, he's going to fight you like an absolute dog, which is why they call him the pit bull. And I, I think, you know, plus money, even though I've got the utmost respect for Jonathan Martinez, I got burned by him last time, a similar type of matchup. I'm willing to take a little poke at uh, Marcelo Roja, plus 128, plus 130, depending on, yeah. Sorry, our officially we've got that uh, plus one. Th- oh, fuck, plus plus one thirty-five at, at DraftKings wow. Sports. And the under two and a half at plus one twenty. Shit, I'm in on that too, my friend. I'm, I mean, Rojo, da- I'm scared. I'm scared of that. Yeah, well, I'm kind of scared of like Rojo showed that he is able to take an absurd amount of punishment in that Jordan fight. I think I think the sage thing to do in this fight is definitely wait for weigh-ins coming back down to 135 pounds. Obviously he's getting ready for this card, but you know, if you complete if you bet the minus or the plus 135 Rojo right now and he comes in misses by like a pound and a half on uh, on Friday, you're going to be, you know, a little bit nervous about what you just did. I uh, any well, sort of weight change moves, I hate I hate getting I hate getting my action in too early and then regretting it when the person comes in looking like you know like death is knocking on their door yeah that's fair well so this is interesting enough is that he fought charles jordan's last fight at 145 and then his fight before that was at kabachi america's and he did miss weight he came in at 139 for a bantamweight fight so yeah dude he is a very big bantamweight but if he comes in here misses john misses weight against martinez by three four pounds are you saying that would make you less likely to bet it? I'm saying I don't want to run into like <laughs> uh, Ryan Benoit's like falling on the stage type of situation. Like yeah. I don't, I don't want yeah. to see, I don't want to bet on somebody who could very, you know, it's, if it's, it, you know, Combat America, he's probably like, eh, I miss weight. I'm not going to make it. So like, screw it. But it's like, I don't know the punishments that they have for those cards. Whereas like UFC, you're losing at least 20% of your purse. Um, 
you know, there could be a little bit more pressure to like, hey, I'm coming off of a loss. I've I asked to be down at 135 pounds. Could be a lot more pressure to like really, really, you know, bite down on your mouthpiece for those last few pounds and put yourself in a situation where you're, you know, looking rough on the scale. So I'll be watching them on the scale before I put any action. And the only bets that I haven't even put them in yet, but once we get off of here, I'm going to be throwing down on Derek Brunson plus 155. Uh, Luigi Vendramini plus. I'm kind of waiting for this one to see. Like, I want the Brits to just keep betting their boy Patty. Maybe I can get like plus 135 or plus 140. We'll see how the week shakes out. But I'll end up with some Skrilla on Luigi Vendramini. Uh, I'm going to bet Jin Yoon Kim 10 inch reach advantage, depending on a uh, a Brit to secure takedowns and hold position. I'm going to, I'm going to take my shot on uh G Yoon Kim in that spot. And I, I actually already bet on the, uh, the under in Jordan versus Arosa. So we're pretty much out of time here. Cody, you know, the drill hit him with the PRP. I'm going to go with Darren Till, although check out for a live line. You'll get much better after the first round. And officially, it will be Till by knockout. Uh, I'm going to go with Tom Aspinall. We're going with Alex Morono, Modestus Bukaukas. Luigi Benjamini is going to be dog number one. I am ever so slightly right now going to go with Molly McCann, which will be that dog number two. Jack Shore, Charles Jordan, Marc-Andre Berrio, Marcel Rojo would be dog number three. So 10-fight card, looking at trying to get two to three dogs on there against Molly McCann's pretty much even money. So it's hard to even call her a dog. And I could see myself flipping on that one. Definitely want to see Wayne. You should, flip, you should flip on that one, buddy. Or dropping down. So it would definitely be interested in seeing that for sure. Um, and then, yeah, shout out to hundred man. He always wants these, these props, I guess, but I think Rojo probably finishes the thing. If he's going to win, he's going to win by knockout. Barrio's going to win. It's going to be by decision. Charles Rene, if he's going to win, it's going to be by knockout. Jack Shore by decision. Molly McCann or Jiang Kim, pick your poison. They're winning by decision. Louis Benjamini, it would be by decision. Modestus Bokaukas. Modestus would actually win this by decision. You know, Roundtree can actually take a beating. He just stops throwing, just stands there. So Modestus would just work him out those later rounds. If Roundtree wins, he's KOing him. Morono's um, a water. It's going the distance out of the side, but I got Morono's would be a Morono decision. And then Aspinall, Spivak. You know what? I would like to say Aspinall's easiest path, best path, would be that knockout under one and a half. But if you know you have bad cardio and you know you're fighting a guy like Spivak that can fight 15 minutes, you don't want to just blow your wad. So I can see him fighting a lot more tentative and just like waiting for the takedown, staying to the outside, trying to parry the job. So I don't get a good read on that one. Like I'm going to pick Aspinall, but I, I couldn't tell you if it's knockout or, or, or decision. If he starts looking winded after the first round, I'm jumping all my money out and going Spivak. But a lot to be known there. So again, yeah, check out for weigh-ins. We've got a couple underdog selections outside of that. I think that I think that we're going to be able to put a couple winning lineups together. And coming off the heels of last week, which was just such a disaster, yep. I mean, uh, the least we can do is get back at the positive win call, right? Let's get back, get back to the good times. That last week was the worst card I've had in in a long, long time. A lot of times, you see, you know, you're treading water. It's like back and forth, that type of thing. My, my, oh, my, was last week a disaster. But, you know, in the modern-day UFC, we don't have to dwell on it too long. There's fights every week. There is no UFC card next week, but we've got uh, we got Contender Series, which I got burned by last night. Um, we got Contender Series uh, every single week for the next 10, 10 weeks on Tuesdays. So 
that will fill the void 100%. All right, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Matt, Pat, and Cody, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh.